Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, I'm delighted to have as my guest, Evelyn Brink. Evelyn teaches executives and coaches how to express themselves really deeply so that they're seen, felt, and heard and connect with people in a way that they actually get you through video. She helps people deliver digital leadership through video as well, so that whilst they may be strong in the boardroom, or they may have a strong reputation in their market through their authorship. What she does is she helps them to position themselves as the leader through video. Evelyn, welcome. Thank you so much, Marcus. What a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Would you mind giving the audience 60 seconds on your background? And don't forget the Madonna impression. <laughs> and it's 60 seconds all I get. That's really... Well, if you want to waffle on for a bit longer, we have to keep people's attention. Isn't that, isn't that why we go on podcasts so we can talk about ourselves without being interrupted? <laughs> Prove the point that you're really good at capturing people's attention on video. Right, exactly. It was like, hello, did I miss something? Okay, well, I think you summarized it really well. And yes, I was once known as Europe's leading Madonna impersonator. In fact, I mean, I've been on the stage since the humble age of five. That's when I started with my TV and theater appearances. I became known and traveled the world mimicking the queen of pop. I've also done one woman shows around the globe, which to be honest, I'm also more proud of, almost more proud of than being Madonna. But of course, Madonna is spectacular. And yes, the cones did look good on me. And I tried to squeeze back into them <laughs> a few years ago. And to my shock, uh, it still fitted, but I couldn't breathe. But anyway, that was part of the comedy act. I like a little bit of comedy as well. So I've got this whole background in performing and writing and expressing myself through comedy, through song, through the written word, through the spoken word. I've authored some books and then I mimic super, superstars, one superstar. And I have this ex extreme desire to just come on, show the world, look, mommy, no hands, look, cones, look, but, but I'm not naked. I don't know. There's this, I love being out there and, and shining bright. That's the one side of Evelyn. And then the other thing is I've been a coach for almost 20 years now, Marcus. So I've got this, <laughs> my coming out was almost a coming in. It was like, oh, did you know I'm actually quite introverted and I love really deep conversation about the things that really hold us back. And, and I get people to talk to me about things that I've never said to anyone else before because I can hold a wide range of, um, of weirdness and emotional stuff that maybe you don't come across in the supermarket. So as a coach, I've had the, just the amazing pleasure to work with first creatives and now more and more CEO level, wonderful people to talk about what is actually turning you on in life and business and what brings you to life and what has you come alive. And I bring that all together now with what I call digital leadership, where we're taking somebody's personality, somebody's expertise, somebody who has to have people follow him or her and bring that to and through the screen because it's no good just being powerful in the boardroom or behind, behind your desk. We need to see you and feel you through the screen. And that really is a different kettle of fish. So that's a little bit of my summary. What else can I say? Lots of things, but let's, let's make sure that we give the, the, the audience lots of value. So that was very Mediterranean time, but a good introduction. So Evelyn, tell me this. Why is it so many people misuse video? What are the, uh, the common pitfalls and mistakes people make? Okay, that's almost two questions, right? So what are the mistakes and why are they doing it? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So the biggest mistakes I see people doing, I mean, we could say, well, the biggest mistake is that, first of all, some people are still not using it. That would be a big mistake for some. And when they are using it, the mistakes that I see happen is talking endlessly about yourself, even though we haven't asked you the question. We are seeing a lot of very boring and unengaging content, wouldn't you say? We just look at it, you take one glance, yeah. with one look, I want to close my eyes and I swipe away and I just go away. Video is a double-edged sword, dear listeners and viewers, because Yes, it has the power to really position you and establish you as a thought leader, as an authority, as someone people want to work with, work with, or it has the fantastic power of having people say, well, you suck within an incredibly short amount of time and run away a hundred miles, never to be seen again. So the mistakes I see happening is people don't know how to use video to their advantage and then basically um, commit commercial suicide on screen in public. 
And what are those acts of commercial suicide? And I know you talk about background, voice, and so on. Can you give some examples? Of course I can. I love the way you said that. Can you give some examples? That would be one, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> that tone of voice just killed it. So I like to talk about background, but not too much. That's quite superficial, isn't it? I mean, you can be in a shitty background. Like, oh, can I swear? I think I can. It's you, right? You can be in a really bad... It's my background. podcast. Of course you can. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> thank fuck for that then. <laughs> and the kids are out the house. So, because they would go, mommy, you said the F word. I'm like, yes, I'm an adult and that situation called for it. So the background is superficial. If you have, if you're super engaging, super charismatic and provide excellent, relevant content, you could be sitting with Muppets behind you, you know? <laughs> I'm talking to somebody who is right now and, and will buy it. It's fine. So background isn't everything, but it does speak about you. So one of the things I say about background is let it speak for you, not against you. Would you mind? I had one um, one person I spoke to and he was speaking about business and had, had a, it was in the living room clearly. And then there was a wine rack in the background. And I thought that's not exactly communicating business acumen to me, you know, at least let it be cigars <laughs> or good wine, but make sure that you know what your, what your background is saying about you because on visual, on camera, everything has meaning and we can use that again to our advantage or let it talk against us. So that's on background. But that's just such a small thing. Really, the tone of voice, yes, that's important. Let's just talk about content first, shall we? A lot of the content we see is just so boring. And you can hear that people are just on video because somebody said, you should be on video. The algorithm favors video. If you are on video, people will buy from you. You will be an expert. Everybody will know and I can trust you if you're on video. And, and so people go on camera overcoming their biggest fear of being seen. And they are crap at it. <laughs> so first thing is your content. What are you actually here to tell us? Can you help me with something? Can you solve a problem for me? And second of all, yes, great if you can do that, but could you please do it in a way that is entertaining? And I love that about video, Marcus, because, you know, people used to say, Brinky, you know, tone it down. Don't be quite, you're, you're always quite theatrical. We need you to be a bit more professional, as they call it. And on video, we're turning the whole thing around. If you are super professional on video, I bet you people won't like it because it's boring. Yeah. It's boring. We don't want poker face. We don't want corporate face on video. So digital leadership means you're turning it around. Bring yourself to life, woman or man. We want to see humans. We want to feel you. We want to see something about you. So that definitely is my main piece is can you be entertaining? Can you be alive? And can you please not look like a zombie? You not feel like a zombie. And that's, I guess, yeah, I like that, Marcus. And then that's where the tone of voice comes in as well. And quite fairly, this has to do with the nervous system. So we can talk about that in more detail now. Let me just take a breath, <laughs> done, um, and check back in with you. Was that what you were looking for? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of preparation for going on video, what can you advise people to do in terms of creating a checklist of things that they really need to have in place in order to ensure that when they are on video, they're not doing themselves harm and they've created the conditions so that their video has a fighting chance of being contextually appropriate, being valuable to the audience and entertaining enough to keep their attention. Because it's all well and good producing the video, but if no one watches it or they click off after six seconds, whilst the algorithm may favor three seconds as pretending that's engagement. It isn't. I love this, pretending that's engagement. Okay, so to summarize your question is, how do we make, how do we make sure the video is actually good? What's the checklist for that? Yes. Well, first of all, do you know how to be entertaining? <laughs> that would be my first question. If you don't... My wife just laughed in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that then? They don't find me funny. Oh, okay. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did a comedy course a couple of years back yeah. and I failed to get onto the final roster. And the following day, my youngest daughter said, Daddy, a lot of people ask me, do you want to be like your dad? And I say, no. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm funny. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> but I owned her. Quite rightly so. That's interesting because I knew you did stand-up comedy and I could tell because of the way that you delivered some of the lines and the cheek that you had in your, in your teaching. 
I think stand-up comedy is a really good idea for most people. <laughs> really good exposure, really good facing your fears and really good to learn about the structure of speaking in a way that sees the humor. So actually, great idea to do stand-up comedy even if you never intend to go into comedy. Same for improv or any theatrical arts. Let's stop undervaluing that and actually use the benefits of becoming more free as a human being. So step one is ask yourself, am I actually entertaining or am I a dead cat on camera? If you find yourself in the dead cat category, would you consider changing that by maybe getting some appropriate training and schooling like you do with everything else? Because it's actually available. I'm quite shocked that people seem to expect themselves to be great on camera without ever having gotten any training. Just because we're like in, we're in Zoom time now and everyone uses cameras doesn't mean that you know how to. You've not been trained in this. And so one of the things you can do is you can actually go and learn about this. Okay, next checklist. So I talk about uh, the three Ps, prepare, practice, and perform. So your preparation is your content. Do you know how to write a message? <laughs> With, as we say in German, hand and feet. Yeah? What's that so mean? That means that it has meat to it. That means that it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, that it makes sense, that it actually does something for you rather than just being, okay, my message to the world is I think it's good to be confident and love yourself and really believe in yourself. <laughs> I used to be really shy, and here I am now in the spotlight, really loving it. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to share that with you today, and I hope you really liked it. Um, I also am on Instagram. <laughs> Find me. Uh, I take pictures of my boobs. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I couldn't, can't resist going into um, characters then. So that's what handed feet is that actually it's not just a waffle thing, but you actually have something to say. I know it sounds so basic, but if, if you're watching the video landscape, it seems to be an important message to share. Well, you- I, I, th- I think what it means is you need to think as your audience. Don't think about them. You've got to think as them. So if I was the viewer, what would I want to get from this video? What, what's the value that I'm going to take away from it? Because if you don't hit that mark, then you're not going to get the dwell time, let alone the engagement, and certainly no follow-up. Boom. That's the one. What he said. Write that down. That's how you do it. So that's on the messaging piece. On the check your tech, always a good idea to check your tech before you go live, unless you can be entertaining under pressure. There's entertaining value. I'm like, oh my God, where's my mic? Is it not on? Can you hear me? And the panic that people go under. For those of us who are on the facetious side of the spectrum, that is very entertaining, but it's probably not going to lead to a sale. So check your tech, check your background. See that you don't have, um, what could be something really bad in the background, Marcus? Your washing hanging up. Yes, especially- Unmade bed. See, washing hanging up, if you have like really nice, beautiful lingerie that could be an added bonus but if it's you know, like dispensers from 1998 maybe yeah. not it, your, your gray granny knickers with holes in the crotch right unless you're using that as a face mask as we've seen that can be successfully done anyway <laughs> that really depends the stories you want to share think about your background think about your tag by all means that like, get dressed on the top half of your body the bottom half, I'm not fussed with. I think it's video etiquette that you wear something extremely comfortable. But the top, you know, go a bit shishi on the top. That sort of stuff is would be on my checklist. But again, the checklist means relatively little to me if the whole package isn't there. I need you to come to life on camera. How do you do that? How do you do that? Marcus, how would you do that? Oh, you are on mute. That's not going to work. <laughs> Alex, delete that moment. Why? That was awesome. (laughs) Alex, don't delete that moment. So how do you come alive on camera? Well, the first thing I think you need to be is confident in your material. And you need to understand who your audience, intended audience is, and find a way of connecting with them in a way that is not selfish. It's about them and what they need to get from it. What are the outcomes that your audience or your customers are looking to achieve? Why would they invest 30 seconds, six minutes, an hour watching you, listening to you on your broadcast? Great. And what will cause them to... Questions I like, what do you want people to do, say, and remember as a result of consuming your content? 
what action do you want them to take? When they speak to other people, what do you want them to say? And six months from now, what do you want them to remember as a result of the impact that you have had on them? And if you think that long term, then you're not creating facile, intellectual, surface level material. You're thinking about profound stuff. And you want to differentiate because there are so many people out there who are just producing bland, anodyne, vanilla, corporate material. I mean, one of the things I wish would happen is corporate marketing departments stop producing corporate videos. Because mm. that that shit is just awful. Yeah, I, I've yet to come across any from corporations that really makes me sit up and think, you know, that was great. There are individuals who do it uh, really well, but corporate marketing videos, awful. So that takes us, I mean, that would take us to this whole topic of how do I show up as a leader? And that in this digital age, we actually need to be even more human than we were before. And I love that. I find it fascinating. When we were seeing each other face to face, we played the game of corporate. The less you can appear human, the more professional you are, the more successful you shall be. On video, we're turning that shit around 180 degrees. The more human you can be, the more I want to be connected to you and do business with you. And that means be more vulnerable. You need to be ready to expose your humanity, your flaws. And I think you also need to be more self-deprecating. That certainly works for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Video is not necessarily my best channel, but all the content that I've ever produced that has humanized me rather than made me the expert is the stuff that's got the highest level of engagement. And that makes complete sense because, Marcus, you are somebody who has a natural authority and you have a, a, you're very, a strong character, as we would say in this really bad accent I just put on for no apparent reason. But when you see somebody with a strong character, all we want inside is like to see that go down. And so if you can do that yourself, you're creating connection. When you have a somebody who's the opposite of that. And often we see that amongst women, for example, who are quite shy, have been taught to be the good girl, to hold back, to not be so loud. You don't want to give them that same advice. They need to stop being so self-depreciating and they need to step into a space of power and, and claiming expertise. So it always depends where you are on your personality spectrum to begin with. I also wanted to address what you said before about all the fantastic questions that you ask. I love that about you. You're so sharp and you can really formulate what people want and what they're going to get. And where I see people struggle is that they can't necessarily answer those questions. So what I like to do is I like to go the opposite and go, what's the stuff, what's the shit in your head that tells you you can't? So then it's, oh, I, I don't know what to say. Oh, I just feel stupid. Oh, I don't know what people want from me. Let's check out those insecurities and then I can help you address them so that it becomes really natural to speak. Does that make sense? Not everybody yeah. has the answers to the positive questions. And because people don't want to appear stupid, they then become incredibly quiet. But actually underneath, there's a whole lot of, I just can't, but I can't admit it. So I love to start with this. Well, what's all the crap in the head? First of all, let's see that and then free it up. To me, coming alive on camera is when the shit isn't in the way and you can actually be yourself. My pal Gary Mitchell always, uh, he does really complex transformation programs and turnarounds. And uh, he always introduces himself as the intelligent idiot. Treat me like an eight-year-old who is bright enough to pick up on stuff but knows nothing. And I think if you produce content with that kind of persona in mind, then you don't overcomplicate it. But also, you need to admit those vulnerabilities that you don't know everything. I mean, one of the reasons why I set the podcast up was I knew there were lots of burning questions I didn't have the answer to. And my favorite question of all time is who? Mm. Who knows? Who knows how to do this? Who has done this before? And then go to the source. And I think a lot of people, when they consume content, they're looking for the who. They're looking for the people who've done it before, who've got the scar tissue and the experience. And you can position yourself as the, the, the go-to who in your space. But you have to be ready to recognize that you need to deliver that in a way that people can consume comfortably. 
I like that. And another reason why people listen to your podcast, including myself, is because you're not afraid to ask the questions most people wouldn't. And we love that. We love that on, on, uh, and on audio and on video as well. Can you go that little step further? Can you talk about the elephant in the room? That makes for interesting content, doesn't it? Well, it's interesting. I, I think that a lot of people forget that people will do pretty much anything for anyone who can encourage their dreams, who can justify their failures and allay their fears, who confirm their suspicions. But one thing they really love is someone who helps um, them throw rocks at their enemies. And again, I think where a lot of people play it safe is they don't take enough of a controversial perspective or position. And I really like taking the controversial perspective because that's where the best ideas tend to come because you get that conflict and it's that friction that creates really great ideas. And certainly, I mean, one of the, the rules that we have on the podcast is that we can argue and we can fight. We can yeah, let's do it. And often, uh, many of the ideas that have really helped me in business have come from disagree someone disagreeing with my position and then challenging me to think differently. And again, in terms of video content or audio content, have people think in a different way. The brief for the podcast is that these two fellows behind me, Statler and Waldorf, the hecklers from The Muppets, are the muse. The objective is to intentionally make the audience uncomfortable. It's to deliver content and questions that they know they have to go and answer and challenges their preconceptions, what they're comfortable with. Because if you don't do that, then you don't really ever make any progress. And one of the things I'm proudest of with the podcast is how people have used that to advance their careers, improve their business. And that, to me, is the most satisfying part of the whole thing. Super cool. I love that. There's two things that I want to get to from here. One is to make this practical for your video leadership. What you've just spoken to, Marcus, was what I would call in coachy language, owning up and giving yourself permission to be as you are. So for you, is you love the friction. You say, if you come on this podcast, we can fight, we can do all this. Because you do that, you're comfortable with that. That's going to come across. The reason why people suck on camera is because they have inside their head the idea that they mustn't be a certain way or that there should be a way that there aren't. And that inner friction really shows, and, and I'm, I'm putting this out on the visual, I'm going to give the visual now, it shows in, in, the, in the form of this. <laughs> so the expression freezes in parts, or we develop nervous tics that you never knew you had, um, but suddenly on video you have them. <laughs> Very interesting behaviors. And so there's a lot, I observe a lot of compensatory behaviors on camera. And all they point me to is that inside there's a conflict going on. So what I love to do when I train people is to go into, well, what do you think you need to be? How do you think you need to be? And the big thing is that people don't want to look stupid. We had this earlier. They don't want to appear inferior in intelligence. And there is a big fear on video that you could out yourself. If you say, get your words wrong, if you forget what you said, if you suddenly, you know, all sorts of situations could get you to feel really, really stupid. So what we want to do is give you a lot of permission to be, for, for example, if, you, if stupid is your thing, feel stupid and be okay with it. And like you just said, the eight-year-old idiot idea gives you a great permission for that. I love that too, but I had a huge chimp, chimp on my shoulder, monkey on my rat on my head. What do you say? Monkey on your back. Monkey on my chimp back. on your shoulder. Monkey. I had a hat on my hat about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I just made that up about being stupid. And then that means I now have to prove to you that I'm not stupid. Chances that my words get stuck are so much higher when I have this. And so everything gets weird. Whereas if I can go, okay, do you know what? I'm a bit slow sometimes. I'm probably not the sharpest tool in the box, but let that be okay. And let's just have a conversation. And then I have permission to, to go and raise my hand and go, I didn't even get what you just said. This speaks to the issue around ego. Ego is absolutely lethal. It's lethal in personal relationships, but it really gets in the way when you're doing recorded content, whether it's audio or visual. You need to be able to put your ego back in the box and uh, be okay with failure, be okay with not looking great, 
if you're interviewing other people, your objective is not to be the hero. It's to let the other person be the hero and have them express their content in a way that then is useful to them. It's useful to the audience. And you learn something. And, and what has been the greatest blessing for me in the last two years of running these 300 plus episodes that we've done on the Inquisitor podcast is I've been exposed to 4,000 years of collective experience. I mean, for God's sake, you could not pay for that. No, but you've uh, aged well, very gracefully. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but what, what's been really amazing is the generosity of people when uh, you put yourself out there and you recognize that they are the expert in this field and your job is to make them look fantastic it's to help them draw out their message and the consistent quality when you're trying to get the best out of them and you're thinking about your audience uh, in terms of how can they derive the most value from this it's not about you so again one of the things I see or hear on a lot of podcasts is the podcaster wants to have the sound of their own voice. And God knows I'm guilty of it myself, as I'm proving now. <laughs> but, Good to catch and, yourself, yeah. No, but recognize that they're not listening for you. They're listening to for the, uh, the, the guest. And I think um, a lot of people do the uh, talking head to camera. But some of my favorite content is where there is interaction between other people. Mm. And some of my favorite podcasts have been the roundtables, where we get three or four people to debate a topic. Uh, we've, do, we've done a series on procurement and pricing. That's been fascinating. Another one on the future of work. And getting such diverse talent in, uh, onto the broadcast and have them debate and then spark off each other. And it means that you don't have to actually do a whole heap of work. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of intelligently lazy. And if you can get three or four experts on a panel and you've got half a dozen questions prepared, the rest will take care of itself if you allow it to. Awesome. That was a fantastic monologue <laughs> of about <laughs> three hours and 50 seconds. We all enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> it's my pleasure. I, I love the way you're interviewing. No, this is fun. Um, but I, I'm struggling sometimes to hold on to the point I wanted to make to something you said at the beginning of the speech and I knew you propelled to five other things. So let me find my thread again because you you said let's fight and let's, let's challenge each other and I want to challenge you, Mr. Kauke. Excellent, go ahead. On the ego thing, because I hear you say it's we need to put the ego in the box and it's all about other people. And that, and I think that's wonderful. And it's something I heard a lot and I struggle with it because my poor old ego is constantly in that box and I think it deserves better. So the, the way I want to challenge you on this is what if our ego was our guide? What if we didn't have to put it away all the time, but if it was actually our best friend and guide? So what I mean by that is for me as a natural rebel, if I tell my ego to go in the box, guess what it's going to do? it's going to kick up a fight with me. It's going to come back bigger and stronger and bite me in my butt. My butt has holes now in it. <laughs> Mine has one too, but... Right? No, exactly. It also proved really handy to have that. Anyway, it's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> but it comes back stronger and it comes back in ways that I haven't expected. And what I'm looking for is a bit more harmony with myself, for example, and I see that my clients really benefit from that too. And when I give a lot of permission, it seems like the whole system settles. So what I mean by that is if my ego keeps up about wanting to be looking intelligent, looking beautiful, being the expert, wanting to be seen, I want to listen to those desires and appreciate them for what they are. And then if I've heard them and acknowledged them, it is much easier for me to just take a breath and be okay. I see the ego a little like a small child. If you ignore it and you put it in, the, in, in its room, they're gonna, it's going to get really loud and nasty later on. But if I attend to it in the moment, it can be much easier. I'm not saying give them all the chocolate you have, but attend to it. So I wanted to challenge you on this whole ego. Okay. Put it to the so side. let me take up the challenge. I mean, one of the rules is ego thrives on drama. So one way I can see that you can harness the ego is to make yourself far more entertaining by harnessing it in that way. Oh, my God. Uh, I love you so much right now. That said... That said, where your ego then gets in the way because you're being entitled or overly protective of your 
what you consider to be your intellectual property. I mean, one of the things that fascinates me is how often people get offended when people lift their stuff. And over the years, I've definitely been guilty of that. But actually, what I love when people steal my material is that it forces me to then evolve and develop better stuff constantly. So I am never, ever, ever satisfied with my performance. And when someone takes a concept that I've been uh, discussing and they claim it as their own, I'm cool with that because it forces me to then evolve to the next level. But the point about drama, I think it definitely can be helpful, but it needs to be harnessed well. Okay, so when we have a conversation about ego, it's really a slippery slope because ego is a word everybody uses to say different things. So you say ego, I say ego, we could be talking about completely different things. So let's, I would suggest, let's make sure we we are really specific. The ego in the sense of your self-image and what you attach to, the way you need to be seen, is what I think what we were relating to. Would you agree? Yeah, your self-concept. Your self-concept. Who you perceive yourself to be. Exactly. Wonderful. And then the point about drama is really, really valuable because we're bashed. There's a lot of ego bashing going on. And you are so right in the theatrics, in the world of entertainment, without a self-concept, without the drama that the self-concept initiates, there's very little entertainment. So we actually do want to cultivate, or as I like to say, give permission to what's already there Bring it out on stage. It's beautiful. Like on stage, you get to be camp, you get to be expressive, you get to be OTT over the top. Be big, be bold, be bright. And I love saying be big. I'm tiny if you meet me in, in real life. Yeah. And just like a little titchy, batshit crazy little thing that whistles around. But my right arm weighs about as much as Evelyn does. <laughs> uh what? <laughs> my right arm weighs about as much as you do. All right. Okay. That brings in really inappropriate imagery into my head. Is it just me? It's just you. <laughs> Probably, but hey, guilty as charged. You're allowed to do that on screen and on stage and in the spotlight. And so I want to encourage people to bring that out and not to bash it and put it in the corner. And then yes, the piece that holds you back from actually showing up as a human, that's the part that we tend to read, like we need to nurture a little bit. That's how I see it. Like nurture that. Um, then bringing this back in terms of your preparation, your mental preparation, so that people connect in a way that they actually get who you are, what you stand for. What's the internal preparation that people need to go through to be comfortable with being vulnerable enough to expose that side of who they are? Wow, I love that question. So how do you become more comfortable with being vulnerable? I think exposure therapy is a really good one on this. (laughs) So you're practicing. Now that's an inappropriate image. Oh, that's so funny. Yes, I was speaking good, guys. So good. Yeah. Let's practice a little bit of exposure. So basically what I'm saying is get your tits out. And all my clothes. <laughs> I like to film myself naked. And since I did that, I'm so comfortable. No, so that's not what I'm talking about, dear listeners. Before you report us to wherever or whatever, do what you do. What I mean by exposure therapy, oh my goodness. Is um, is that you're doing the very thing that you're afraid of and expose yourself to it, not your privates to the world or the screen. <laughs> One must dis- dis- differentiate on that. Cheers. <laughs> oh, yes. If you take the sip out of a silver goblet for those who are listening. <laughs> so the way that I've practiced and stretched myself is by, is incremental. So you don't go out and share everything you've ever needed to share with the whole world. You go out and share with somebody you trust. Now, for video preparation specifically, I like safe containers for that reason. I I don't recommend going public when you are not used to it. I recommend practice in a group how much is too much for you, where your your boundaries, where your comfort zone uh, ends. And if you are not in a group and you're not in training and you want to, if you want to play at home, if you want to try this at home, what you can do is you go on Facebook, turn on live, but set the setting to only me. So you go live to only yourself. And then what you can do is just speak out what you're so afraid about and what you think you'll mess up and what all the problems that, and just name it and, and, and do it or mess up in a great way on video live, but nobody sees it. 
And that's what I call exposure therapy. Like you've done it, you've been there. Then you probably feel that you're blushing. You're probably like me think, oh my God, I hope that was only me <laughs> setting, you know? <laughs> if that's too much, do it without the, the live feature and just do it to camera, but watch it back so that you can get the, the experience of what it feels like. And it's not comfortable. It isn't. I get it. Then we do this nurturing thing where we go, it's okay, I'm allowed. Evelyn said I should do it, so I'm going to do it. It's, it might help, you know, my clients are getting results. There might be a reason why that we're doing this. It's not just a, a self-pleasure exercise, you know. <laughs> Although, if it was, you know, that would also be completely justified in my world. <laughs> but it works to expose yourself and stretch yourself gently. If you do your yoga every day a little bit, you will become more flexible. But if you try to do the splits today, you're probably just going to rip yourself. <laughs> so uh don't give yourself stitches okay so in terms of using video as a marketing tool then how do you suggest people go about doing the planning and building the foundations so that they can create regular consistently high quality content Mm. Um, do, do you suggest a, a, a marketing calendar of some sort or a content uh, blueprint? Well, I, lo I love all these very business-oriented questions there, Mr. Kauke. I'm going to have to put an accent on to answer them. So if we want to talk strategic, yes, calendars are great. Yes, front batching is a really good idea. So we Front film batching? Front batching. That's not exposing a front in a batch, but that's when you produce more content at the same time. So let's say you have Thursday's video day and you take all Thursday to create and film your content and you do five videos in one day, the day is a write-off. But you know what? When you get started in video, often you find your days are because it's quite a faff to make them if you want to do them well. So yeah. take the whole day, write it off, but create five pieces at the end that are great. And that's your video marketing for the month of May or whichever month we're listening this in, sorted. Yeah. So, from, so there's a question is out, how do I become consistent? And then there's a question of how do I use video strategically? To me, these are two related but different questions. So the consistency works best with scheduled times. If you find it difficult to get your act together and have that discipline to do videos, arrange interviews because then you just talk to someone and that's a video nowadays. And then, yay, you've got a video. Now you're going to say, but Evelyn, that's way too long. I can't put an hour podcast on every month. No. Then you go and get an editor to segment your interview into social media snippets two to three minutes. And then boom, you probably have content for the next year or so. If you're talking to me, <laughs> <laughs> other interviews might be shorter. That's a great way to get consistency. And then you get your, um, your assistant to schedule it for you. That I think is the most effective way if you ask me or you do it yourself, if you can be asked. So that's how you get consistent with a bit of discipline, a bit of planning and a bit of smarts. How do you, um, what was the other question I've said? There are two related questions consistency and what was the other thing is what was it strategic oh yes strategic that's right good that you have a memory strategic for me is about thinking what kind of videos am i putting out at which time because let's say you're planning a launch of a product you want to build up to that you don't start hitting people with sales videos in week one that would be stupid you want to know when you put your content out you want to have some fun videos where it's not so serious and then you build yourself up strategically towards the sale because you can you, you can use this video for sales you can do a sales letter on video format works a treat right but again you don't do that in week one you do that in week six so if you have a six-week launch so think about what the video needs to do at each given time and marcus you were excellent at asking the right questions for that if you put yourself in your buyer's shoes in your client's shoes what do they need to see from you that builds the relationship up until they say, yes, I want to buy that? And then you reverse engineer your content that way if you're strategically inclined. I work a lot with very creative-minded people that if I suggest that too, they will completely freeze markers and run a thousand miles and never do any videos. So to them, I have to say, you know what? It's fine for you. Go with your inspo. When you get inspired, when you have a question that somebody asked you, just make a video about that. Oh, but I don't always have a question. What you do is you go on your social media platform of your choice and make a little poll. What do you need to know about your topic? What's your biggest struggle with your topic? Let people answer those questions. And then you go on camera and go, 
I was asked how to sell on video, but without coming across yucky. So I just wanted to come on and explain to you three crucial points. And boom, you have a content video sorted. And that's again a way how you become more consistent with fun. Boom. Excellent. So a very comprehensive response. I'd like to add something here, which I think many people overlook, which is that your content should not just try and appeal to prospects who have not bought from you. You've got customers who have lapsed, customers who are current customers, but probably don't know that you do other things. And there's an opportunity to start nurturing your pipeline long, long before they're ever going to become a customer. What people forget is that customers go through a life cycle. When they realize they have a problem, they're not ready to receive any form of sales message. They make space for an idea, and then they start to look passively to learn how to address that issue. There is a fabulous opportunity here, and certainly my experience has been that I do not have a single customer today who has even so much as liked, commented, or shared any of my content. They've been passively consuming it, and they've been lurking. And when they are ready, they then contact me. And the thing that I'm really interested in is the buzz. It's the subsurface, unsolicited contact where they reach out to you and say, just saw your video, just listened to your podcast, just read your piece, and it was like you were a fly on the wall. And this is where they're starting to see you as a possible solution to their problems. But do not overlook the huge opportunity to produce content for your existing clients. Help them consolidate their decision to buy from you, to see that what you are producing in terms of your content is underpinning and supporting the work that you are doing with them. Look at lapsed customers. Why have your customers lapsed? Go back and speak to some of the people who stopped doing business with you and find out why, and then produce great content that speaks to those issues. One of the most interesting bits of research that I came across last year was Salesforce. They did a piece of research called Experience the Shift. And one piece of output was that companies that speak to unhappy customers have a 600% faster product development cycle. Go out and speak to unhappy customers and then address their issues in your content. And that will fill your pipeline. Wow, I love that. And also it makes for much more uh, interesting content rather than just the happy clappy stuff. Yeah, a really good idea for people could be to get in if you have somebody like you, somebody like you, or like specifically you on your side, to really work out what those strategic messages would be for for a client, and then get me on board to help make those messages come to life. That could be a really potent way for people to create something extraordinary. Agreed. Uh, that and I was and I was just thinking about where so video is again one of these words that we use. For, to explain lots and lots of things. Do we just mean being on camera like now in a Zoom interview? Do we mean that we're doing a sales video? Do we mean that we're doing a live? Do we mean that we're serving our customers and clients? Do we mean that we're doing strategic marketing? All of that now falls under the, the, the umbrella of video because we're using video as just a medium. What you do with it is totally up to you. So your sales process is now also a video leadership process. Now we're meeting together but you need to learn to become entertaining in that because you're using the format of video, but you still want to learn all the strategy. And I think this is why it's important to have these joint ventures and these partnerships over time. My expertise comes from the how to get yourself alive and how to really express what you wanted to say all along. And then it's wonderful to work with people who have those questions go, well, wait a minute, what does my customer need to hear next? That's not why my brain goes first. That's why my brain goes third. So I love when you bring that up. This is really interesting. I've just started working with a company called Mobile Practice. And the technical term for what they do is asynchronous blended coaching. What that really means is that as a coach, you can intervene in a particular moment in the conversation or in the learning 
of an individual. And you can provide them with instruction in terms of maybe a 15 to 30 second snippet of the conversation that they're having within the sale or within the recruitment process or managers having a difficult conversation with one of their staff and uh, provide them with an opportunity to develop their talk track on video. And they can do it as many times as they like until they feel confident that they've got it right. And then that offers you a coaching opportunity as their coach or their manager to deliver an individual hyper-personalized piece of coaching. And I can see a real opportunity here for people to develop that. Because in this market, if you are not capable of selling or engaging on video, you're really going to be struggling through the pandemic. And we're probably going to be locked down four, five, and six before we're out of it. Yeah, and I mean, do you really think that companies are going to spend a fortune on sending people across the world, paying for hotels, paying for stays, when they could just get it for free now via Zoom? Uh, absolutely. I I'm mean, convinced. If you know how to sell via video, you're going to be winning. If you don't know how to be on video and you're reliant on being out in the real world as your only way, good luck. Well, breathing someone else's air is not a superpower. And working on video, if you are capable of filling the front end of your pipeline, then you could be having five or six sales meetings a day quite comfortably instead of one or two if you've actually fit, uh, done uh, the hard work to fill the pipeline. Even if you're only having five or six meetings a week and you're spending the other four days on developing your pipeline, you're still going to be massively more efficient than someone who uh, thinks that by turning up and uh, drinking bad coffee at someone else's office, you're going to be uh, a much better salesperson. And here comes the next piece, which we actually started with at the beginning, which is the positioning. The beauty of using video to leverage your, your credibility, your authority for um, up-level positioning is that it's going to be A, easier to secure those calls and B, or people want to talk to you. You're becoming more the, um, the flower and the bee comes to you rather than having to run after people. That's, what, that's like the magic that I experience with video. People see me, they get to know me. When they hop on a call with me, there's already a, a relationship established. People know what it's about. It's, I'm not chasing them anymore. And that makes sense. Uh, absolutely. They already feel that they know you, particularly if you've produced video. One of the really interesting things for me, because I've been using video and the podcast is that people already feel that they know me pretty well by the time they first engage with me in an actual one-to-one -one interaction. And that lowers the barrier and the resistance. And if you've positioned yourself as the go-to person in your market, and uh, again, never, ever, ever underestimate the power of building a personal brand, which is uh, one of the most important bits of output that you can get from a video. But if you are able to make them feel comfortable enough to engage with you and they already feel like they know you, the large part of the rapport build has already been done and it's up to you not to screw it up. Do you feel, Marcus, that when people talk to you after they've gotten to know you from videos and the podcast and you said they, they feel like they know you, does it feel like they know you and your friends or can you feel that they actually there's a, a reverence as well, uh, as well and, a, and an admiration maybe or... That I never quite understand because I don't see myself that way. And th there have been many instances where it's been the case. But very quickly, when you focus on them and you try and identify what they would consider a win from the conversation, all that goes out the window very quickly. What's the reason behind your question so that maybe I can answer? The reason behind my question was I wanted to establish whether that's happened to you too because I, I do see that that's another magical part of being on screen is that a respect is being built when you get it right between mm -hmm. the person on screen and the person that hasn't even that doesn't even know you yet. And so when you meet them, not only is it easier to meet them because they already know what you're about and they want to be in contact with you, there seems to be a heightened level of respect towards you that I haven't seen when people didn't know your content beforehand in that way. There is absolutely that. And Simon Byrne has a wonderful model. It's a uh, four levels of salesperson so at the lowest level is the pill pusher no one wants to spend a lot of money on an aspirin and what happens then is the conversation very rapidly descends into price the next level up 
is the authority figure. And this is where you find a lot of people using video and content and their LinkedIn to try and position themselves as a content authority or a subject matter expert. The problem is, if I'm being perfectly brutal, is that they all kind of sound the same. You know, if you're a social media buff, then you'll sound like everyone else very quickly. And it rapidly means that the conversation descends into price. The next level up that Simon talks about is the hero seller. And the hero seller is the kind who is strong and people come to them for their strength because they want to be defended. Now, that works for some people. So I look at a couple of people that I know who are really strong in their space and they're very forthright and strident and outspoken. But there is a level above that and there is a massive gap and there's a huge difference in terms of the fees that they can command and the relationship they have with their audience. And that's what Simon describes as a sage seller. People come to them for their wisdom. They come to them because they're hoping that some of their smarts will rub off on them. And if you use your content strategy and it's written, it's video, it's audio, it's producing great material, PowerPoints and uh, stuff, that people can use and they start to see you as a sage, then you can create a waiting list. Then you can create, then you can cherry pick uh, the type of customers that you want. And that is, has to be the aspirational place for anyone using video and content marketing. What he said, where do I sign? <laughs> I love it. You know, the reason why people... Everybody needs to listen to your podcast as you save us reading five books per episode. I feel that you always bring so many interesting and valuable models into the conversation and so many different reference points. It makes me feel a lot smarter when I come out of listening to a podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. And that's the advantage of having access to 4,000 years of other people's experience. <laughs> Evelyn, we've come to the top of the hour, Sandy. Um, oh my gosh. But, I we, know have, gone, but we haven't talked about voice. We'll talk about voice on another episode. All so right. tell me this, what are you struggling with? What are you wrestling with at the moment? Oh, great question. What am I wrestling with? I feel I've let a lot of wrestle go just lately. So I tell you what I have been wrestling with and where I'm, I'm transitioning to. Um, I have been wrestling with traditional marketing. Because my video has done so well, I've then gone out and thought, let me expand. Let me grow my company because I'm clearly... It doesn't bloody work. Which, um, yeah, thanks for taking the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> I spent a little bit of my fortune to find out that it doesn't <laughs> work. So it's been, it's been um, what they say in Coach World, an interesting journey. And it's been like a little challenging. It sucks. <laughs> I spend a lot of money on, on finding out myself that it doesn't work. But I'm now coming through the to, to the other side where I'm really seeing it. I can see clearly now the money has gone. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I'm, I'm willing to let it go. Let it go. So this next song, <laughs> we are going to talk about voice. Where I'm willing to let it go. And I heard you speak on those four levels. Yes, it's exactly the sage building, the brand building, the positioning, and the things that I talk in my teachings myself that I actually need to apply, Marcus, as my next level. And I thought, maybe I'm the only one, but I thought growing is going beyond the things that I say. And it turns out it's actually doing the things that I say. <laughs> <laughs> Once you've realized it doesn't work, just cut the strings. You know, Facebook ads receive an average of 1.61% click-through rate. Google is something along the lines of 1.91% engagement levels. Programmatic, you know, the stalker adverts, they receive 0.035% engagement. Was that nobody wants to be a stalker anymore? Well, lots of people still spend money on being a stalker. Again, you know, find the stuff that works for you and then double down on it. Speak to your customers and find out why they bought from you, how they find they found out about you. What was it about your content that drew them in? Because if you look, if you speak to your ideal customers and you identify what it was that uh, what was their point in their journey where they came across you and moved from passive to active looking, then you can double down on that, but also speak to the, your 
least favorite customers and find out how they found you so that you can make sure that you don't give them what they need so you get fewer of them in your pipeline and you stop wasting your time on pain in the ass customers. So, okay, what are you reading, watching, listening to at the moment that you think other people should pay heed to? Oh, great question. I don't watch a lot because I'm a single mom of two and I run a business, so I'm a little bit busy. I read on my Audible. Let's see. I mean, I know I'm ageless goddesses. It's not relevant to the conversation we're having. Oh, Understanding Human Nature, Alfred Adler. That's about the psychology of of being human. It's a a classic, a classic. It it means, I mean, I have to listen to it early on because the language is a little more complex, so my brain shuts off quicker. (laughs) The last book I've read that I really think is wonderful was the, um, The Power of Radical Forgiveness. And even though that's, again, it's not, I don't just read about a video and, and business, but the reason why this book was very interesting is because it really challenges the ideas and beliefs that we have about the ego. So you can learn more about. Uh, and who is that by? This is by Colin Tipping. We've got Eddie Izzard here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I finished, oh, what was it? Uh, Your Brain at Work. David Rock, I just finished that. That's relevant to everybody. If you want to know and understand how your brain functions in the most uh, productive way, that's a really, really good book. And again, if we use this onto the video discussion that we had, it's becoming very clear to when you want to schedule your video creation because you need to be quite, uh, you need quite a lot of brain capacity to be great on camera. You're in the spotlight. You are under an immense amount of pressure, be it self-perceived and self-made pressure, but it's a good idea to have your brain um, well uh, well sugared up, which doesn't mean that you should have sweets, but you need to have a, be in a good state and have a fresh line of thinking, which now is slowly fading, isn't it? So we need, to, we need to wrap this up, don't we? Okay, so one final question then. You've got a golden ticket. You can go back and advise the idiot Evelyn, age 23. What one piece of advice in life or work would you have given her? I put my own show up in New York at 23. The advice I would give her is just, I, I think I would just tell her to have fun and stop worrying. You're going to mess it up anyway. Like you, you're nuts. Have fun with it. Fucking up is normal. That's, you know, it's just part of being human. And yeah. if you can't accept that, then you're going to spend an awful lot of time playing it safe. And Seriously. what I've never really regretted uh, was taking risks. I've always regretted playing it safe. I like that. And I think for me, I've been so worried. The question I've always had in my head as a young person and possibly still now is how do I get it right so that I too can be successful, so that I too can have the things that I want? Because I always felt a little bit different, a little bit crazier than... The paradox is you have to fail a lot. You've got to fail a lot and learn from your mistakes. And this is the thing that most people don't do. They keep beating their head against the same bit of brick wall and then blame the brick for the headache. You've got to mess up, test it, and become more scientific in your approach. Keep a record of the mistakes that you make and then think of three alternatives that you could do in the future if you are facing the same situation. Then test them out. One of the things I love doing is experimentation. I've set up this community intentionally as a great big experiment so that we can try out ideas, test them out, uh, see which ones work, which ones don't. And the synthesis of that is that you end up with a much, much better outcome for everybody. I love that. And the the thing that I've learned from you, Marcus, as well from your teaching, that that's how I summarize it for myself, the way it's anchored is grow a backbone, (laughs) which speaks to the same just from a different language. But the, the dare to to become strong and grow a backbone, say what's true for you, even if it's not comfortable for you or for somebody else, but but grow this backbone. It's okay. It doesn't have to be popular. It just, just growing up and taking control of, of your own life. That's something I've really taken from you. So Fantastic. I'm delighted. Thank you. Evelyn, how can people get hold of you? Well, you can always follow me on my Instagram. You can get hold of me, uh, email me, hello at brink coaching.com brink as an on the brink of going mad or also wildly successful hello at brinkcoaching.com. you find me on linkedin evelyn brink is my name but make sure to give it three e's one at the beginning one in the middle and one at the end 
And yeah, I am also on Instagram. If you want to see pretty pictures of my, I've got red hair and, and I pose on Instagram. Anyway, LinkedIn, website, send me an email. Look forward to hearing from you. Be wonderful. Excellent. Evelyn Brink, thank you. Thank you, Marcus. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful, insightful, helpful, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And don't be afraid to give an honest review on Apple or Google Podcasts. One star, three stars, five stars, whatever, just be uh, give honest feedback. Now, if you're the owner or, or CEO of a tech company in the 10 to 50 million turnover mark, and your goal is to grow your business and achieve genuine, sustainable, profitable hypergrowth. And by hypergrowth, we're talking about 200% compound growth per annum year on year. Then generate highly engaged staff who love coming to work, who give massive discretionary effort, and who put the customer at the heart of everything they do. So you end up with customers who stick with you year after year, decade after decade. Then let's schedule time for a brief conversation. My email is marcus at laughs-last.com. And if you want to contact me on LinkedIn, then direct message me and we can tee up a quick 15-minute Zoom call. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.